Song of Songs, chapter 2. You'll hear some review tonight. As I usually don't try to do a lot of review, but in this, this series, I've been doing it every week, and I think it's okay because everyone's getting it, right? We're all, we're all walking into this greater understanding of the Song of Songs. There's two main characters we're looking at, just to make sure that we're all on the same page in the Song of Songs, the Shulamite woman and her beloved, the bride and the bridegroom, a representation of the church and Jesus, that we are the bride and he is our beloved. And God wants us to walk in this very intimate, close, familiar relationship. Last week we saw that God is inviting us into what we call the house of wine, a walk, a journey to this place to receive all that he's done for us. We talked about how we are to be delighting in his shade and tasting the fruit of beloved identity in Jesus. There's this picture that the beloved was walking the Shulamite woman under the trees, under the branches, on the way to the chambers, on the way to this place, and then we saw that it was actually called the house of wine. And someone said this last week, um, I won't tell you who, um, but Mr. John pointed out that <laughs> we can sit under the shade of the apple tree, and I talked about how the fruit will eventually fall. And he came up to me afterwards and says, you know how the fruit falls? By wind. So when we're dwelling in the shade of his presence, the Holy Spirit moves in such a way for us to taste whatever fruit we're supposed to eat of. I thought that was good. Good enough to mention. When you take the light in that shade, the fruit you need to be sustained falls by way of abiding in the presence of God rather than striving to pick it. And a lot of times in church we get in that kind of rhythm of we're trying to get it, we're trying to grab it. And God says, no, 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 don't strive to grab it. Simply get lost in my presence so that whatever you need will come to you as you need it. I think we need to remember that in the garden, they didn't have to work for anything. Because they were in delight, and in that place of delight, everything was available to Adam and Eve. And now that we're restored in Jesus' name, all is available, but we have to learn to dwell in his presence. You see, on the other side of redemption, our work is simply being obedient while dwelling in his presence. This Shulamite woman is being escorted back to the winehouse. She wasn't worthy alone. But the moment her beloved called to her, she was royalty. She wasn't of royal blood. She wasn't a royal woman. She wasn't anything that a king should embrace. But the moment the king called for her, she was ready to dwell in this house of wine. 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood. And the very next verse in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 10, it says, Once you had no identity as a people, but now, someone shout now. now. But now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Once we had no identity, once we were just here with no identity, but now, the moment you accept the invitation from the call of the king, you are royal. And royalty is escorted in his presence to the winehouse 
for wine. That's what's going on. This, this Shulamite woman that had no business going to the house of wine with the king was called by the king. And the moment she was called, her identity shifted. Once you had no identity. But the moment you say yes to the father calling, the king of kings calling you, your identity shifts to royalty. That is why when you walk into a room, demons should fear and tremble because they don't see the old you, they see royal you. And when they see royal you, it comes with an authority that they have to bow to. Jesus Christ conquered death hell, and the grave, and when he rose up and defeated it all, there was a new invitation for all to join him in the wine house. The presence of God joining him in his presence. So he leaves, and he tells the disciples, I want you to wait for me in Jerusalem. Y'all remember the story? Jesus Christ rose, he spent some time on the earth, and then he left, and he said, now that I'm leaving, I want you to wait for me into Jerusalem. When? Until the Father sends you the gift. And he says, when this gift comes, you're going to be baptized. Baptized means to be immersed. That's why we call being dunked in the water baptism. So he says, you are going to be immersed in something. You were going to be baptized in a gift. And we know that that gift was what? Holy Spirit. This is a picture of being overwhelmed in water, a baptism, if you will. Jesus demonstrated this already. There's a picture of being overwhelmed, completely immersed in this liquid. And where did they want them to wait? They said, we want you, Jesus says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, and when they went to Jerusalem, they waited in a specific place. They went to the upper room, which we found out last week actually was the place where they stored the wine. So Jesus says, I want you to go to the place and wait for me, and you're going to be immersed in the wine. Wine was poured out. Holy Spirit was poured out, if you will. They were baptized in the wine of the Holy Spirit in the house of wine. Are y'all getting this? When I say, I'm talking about God says, I want to pour out something on you. They went to the wine house and the wine was poured. They were baptized. They were immersed in the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem. This is what religion does when wine is poured out. The church tries to define a pouring out wine moment as a wineskin. The church has a moment where wine is poured. Wine being whatever it is that God wants to bestow on the church. In this moment in Acts 2, it was they were immersed in the Holy Spirit. There was a manifestation of fire above their heads. There was a sound like a rushing wind come in. They started speaking in different languages. It was being poured out, poured out, poured out. And what the church does is we take a moment of pouring out and we say, that must be the wineskin we need for anything to happen. We have this upper room experience, the Holy Spirit poured out, and we try to make that upper room experience in Acts 2 the wineskin, and we ignore every other moment that doesn't look like it. The wineskin 
is you've been prepared for wine. And now the wine has been poured out. The question is, what do you do with the wine? Not how do you recreate their wine pouring moment. Because what the church does, specifically the charismatic Pentecostal spirit-filled church, is it ain't wine unless it looks like Acts 2. So we adopt, we got to look like that wineskin. So we start trying to make our services look like the upper room. And what we've missed is that was not the wineskin. The wineskin was they came together and prayed until... And then in a moment, wine was poured out. And for some reason, we measure every other wine-pouring moment as we want to get back there. I put forth to you, we've already been there. Now what are we going to do with the wine? Is okay so far? We cannot ask for more wine when we're still full from the first outpouring of first wine. You're already invited to a house full of it. He says, I want to bring you into the house of wine. So there's wine everywhere. There's plenty of wine to be poured out. There's more available. But when you make the wine skin all about the wine, you're limited because you want more wine when in fact you haven't done anything with the wine to make room for his pour. I'm going to let this sit for a second. Lord, pour it out. I can't. You ain't done nothing with it the first time. You ain't dispersing the wine. You're still swimming in it. I poured out tongues. I poured out fire. And now every time you come together for church, you pray for tongues and fire. And he says, that's not how they got it. That was the pour I had for that 120. But the wine pour that I have for you may look different because it's not about that pouring out. It's about get ready for whatever pour I have for you. Is this? Okay. okay. Steward the wine as a result of a prepared wineskin ready to receive it. Well, how do we steward what's been poured out? Whatever's been poured out to you, use it for the benefit of God's glory and not yours, or use it as a way to measure yourself as spiritually mature, which is actually saying you're quite spiritually immature. When you, when you pour out the wine that's been given to you, you pour it out for the glory of God, and when you do that, he will pour more as you need it. Because you will need more wine, and it may look different from the first pour. And it's new, and it's good. And it's not, not as good because it don't look like Acts 2. Maybe the pouring of wine is simply patience. In a moment where life is coming at you, and you want to make a decision like this. You ever heard of rash decisions? 
And you make decisions because you don't want to be patient because you want the thing now when really you should just sit in the upper room wineskin of God I'm praying so that if he pours out a decision, great. But if he pours out, stay here, you'll say yes. Or maybe a people want to see something crazy happen like in Asbury. In a moment, these students were in a posture, and God said, okay, I'm, I'm going to pour that out here. And then what the rest of the church does is say, oh, that must be the wine for us. And God's like, you ain't ready for that. Or, I don't want you ready for that. I've got something different that your city needs. I've got something different that your family needs. You see, we see manifestations of God and we compare everything to that and say, we want that. And God says, in that moment, you have missed. You are more focused on the wine than being ready for whatever wine I've got. And we have to be a people that get out of, I, wanna, I, want, what, I, I want what happened in Acts 2 to happen here. What we should want to happen here is God pour out whatever you got. And we are going to position ourselves to be ready for whatever. Is this okay? I know this is kind of pushing on a lot of things people preach, but the stuff people preach ain't working or the world would be a lot better off right now. Amen. Steward the wine. Do you understand that we don't need that upper room experience? You need your upper room experience. And it will only come when you accept a walk into the wine house. We are in the very embrace of God that these disciples were. We are in a royal position. We are a royal, worthy bride. And he wants us to understand that we are his bride, just like the Shulamite woman understood in verse 6. Of Song of Solomon's 2. She says, his left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. We talked about this last week, but I want to remind you of it. This is a picture of a union. Being wrapped up in the arms of the beloved. My sermon went away. <clears throat> Where am I at? It's a picture wrapped up in the arms of the beloved. His left arm cradles my head. We talked about this from the Hebrew word small, which means dark as a mystery. Let your head, your mind, the thing that guides you, be held in the mysteries of his way that are only revealed through an intimate relationship. You trust his leading even when it doesn't make sense. The right arm under my head represents the place of honor and authority. So I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. He pours out his wine because we are in a relationship where we trust the mystery of his left hand while understanding we're walking in the authority by his right. See, wanting more wine, wanting to experience more of God does not depend on God. It depends on you getting lost in an embrace Instead of being a glutton for wine. Can I say that again? You become more obsessed with getting lost in the embrace of the king than becoming a glutton for wine. And I feel like that's where the danger of the church is at. 
We preach messages about the wine and we talk about the wine and God poured out and God do this and God do that. God save this people. God do this. God do. And God's like, I would if you would let me hold you. But you're wanting what I have for you and you don't want me. And what religion teaches is we got to get the wine. We got to get the wine. I, let me, when I say religion, I'm not talking about old school religion. I'm talking about non-denominational contemporary religion. The religion of God's going to do it for you. God's going to do it for you. Get it, get it, get it. And no, 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 no. What this is all about is it, let him embrace you in a relationship that is so real where if fruit never falls from the tree, you're okay. Because you're not in the shade of his presence for the fruit. You're in the shade of his presence for his presence. And if we would embrace that, you would never question God when you're not eating fruit. Well, God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this for me? I've been in the church for 20 years. I still ain't seen breakthrough. Do you want the wine called breakthrough or do you want the embrace of the king? We get obsessed with, I want the wine. I want the blessing. I want the thing. And God says, I would if you would just get lost in the embrace of mystery and authority. Wine is the fruit of dwelling in the wine house, but you do not dwell for the fruit. You dwell with him because you want to be with him. And when you get lost and I just want to be where you are, God, whatever wine you need is always provided. But it's not because you're seeking the wine. It's not because you're seeking the blessing. It's not because we're seeking the next big move. I think we need to shift some things. I'm not seeking a move. I just know what's coming because I'm getting lost in an embrace. And if I get lost in an embrace, it can do nothing but take me into great places of more. Let me read 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You want to know how to steward the wine? Use your gift to serve. Don't use your gift to try to find a platform. Sometimes serving each other or stewarding the wine is simply being there. Think about the position of these 120 people in the upper room. They gathered together and they just prayed. And they supported each other. It was the first church before the church had a system. They just came together. Can you imagine being in that upper room waiting for days? I'm sure some people were like, man, is, is, is something going to happen? And then there was a word of edification. Just be patient. He said to wait. They were just there for one another. And from that posture of a family sitting in an upper room, house of wine, waiting for God to do whatever, which they had no idea, they had no Bible to read about, they just prayed together, and they were just there for each other. And that wineskin of we're here for each other, praying together, that is what received a mighty wind, tongues of fire, and languages. They never sought the stuff 
because they didn't know what to expect. They just wanted to be with God. I believe that the new outpouring will come not from great services, but from a unified family where we stick with each other even when we don't like each other. For one reason, we all believe in the same God. Because the fact of the matter is, we can, we can always do great services. Can I just say it? That's not a new wineskin. I am not, not going to come up here and pretend like let's put on a great service and that's a new wineskin. Because to be quite honest, there's a lot of churches that do services better than this one. We get it wrong, we mess up. There's bad notes, there's a weird preacher, all kind of stuff. It's not about the service. It's about a people coming together and staying together in a unity that this world has forgotten about. Think about what the world is doing. We're unifying in our ability to be alone. And the church is supposed to go into this new wineskin of we understand that we were never designed to do it alone. And we want to be together. And we want to embrace each other. And you know what a new wineskin looks like? It don't matter if they come in and they're covered in tattoos. It don't matter if they come in and they got weird colored hair. It don't matter if they come in and they don't believe. You know what we do? And they're overwhelmed with what's going on in a people that they haven't been able to find anywhere else. And when we get in that wineskin, God's just... Because it's not about the wine. See, here's where we miss it. We think the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit was in Acts 2. But it wasn't. It was just a new wine. What about the wine poured out that caused the 120 believers to just stay there for a while? Do we forget about that wine? Because before, they didn't know each other. They were walking with this dude who claimed that he was the Messiah, and they believed it. Then they saw him killed. Then they saw him raised from the grave, and then he left them. But something about that walk, something about the wineskin of a walk with the king caused him to say, let's just stay here. And I still got people complaining that we go more than two hours. And sometimes we go way too long. <laughs> oh, sometimes maybe. But it, it's not even about the time though. It's just, it's just simply, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's simply we're coming together for whatever, being unified despite whatever. Because we don't see the imperfection, we see royalty. You need to convince, get convinced that you're royalty. You need to get convinced that he has a special thing about your life that he wants to do through your life. And you need to get connected to a place that says, we want to see that come out of you. That's the wineskin. To see people come alive in Christ, in their anointed purpose. When they stewarded 
this gift of family staying together in an upper room and new wine came. And when it poured out, people came running to hear a sound. And when they came running to hear the sound, Peter started to preach. And this is what Peter says in verse 37 of Acts 2. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. couple things. Why could they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so easily? Because they didn't need another upper room experience. The Holy Spirit already been poured out. Y'all didn't get it. One of the biggest debates in the spirit-filled church is, do you, are you filled with the gift of tongues? It's a gift, but it's not the evidence of filling. It was poured out on the church in the upper room. You know what those 120 represented? Not 120. It was a representation of the bride now gets the wine called Holy Spirit. So when they go to these people that say, we heard a sound, they didn't say, well, I want you to get about 120 people and I want you to have a prayer service and just pray until it happens. No, no, they said, oh yeah, if you believe, you'll get what's already been offered. Be baptized, Peter says, in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of good behavior. Not in the name of the Messiah will come one day. Not in the name of we believe in God. But Peter says, let's get specific to the person. Be baptized in the name of the one that was crucified. Be baptized in the name of the one that you rejected. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as the Messiah promised as the Savior. See, the only thing that they needed for that wine was to be united in a new wineskin of belief. That he was Messiah. I wonder if you're struggling to figure out sometimes what wine has been poured in your life. Well, what's the wine that's been offered to me? I ask you to get out of thinking of where's the wine and get into the idea of I just want him. This seems really simple. But when we come together to worship God, we have all these expectations. God, bring your healing. I say we stop necessarily asking God for specifics and just ask God for whatever. Just pour it out, whatever it might be. Because we're not coming here for a healing. We're coming here for an embrace together. It's not about the wine. Right, Y'all are quiet tonight. Is this, is this sinking in? It's not about the wine. The wine is testament to you being about the one person you need to be about. Jesus. The word of the Father who is still with us by way of Holy Spirit. And some of us have been to church for a long time. And some of us have been doing church things for a long time. But many of us have not got lost in the embrace. And you wonder why you're stuck. 
Because you cannot go forward in a walk with God if you haven't trusted to fall in the loving arms of a loving God. You see, the Shulamite woman, in this next verse, she talks about this embrace. Now, I'm going to say what I said again before I read this verse. You cannot go forward in a walk with God if you have not trusted to fall in his arms. This is what happens in verse 7 of the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Promise me, Jerusalem maidens, this is the king talking, by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer, that you'll not disturb my love until she's ready to arise. Just keep that up there. Promise me, Jerusalem maidens, by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer, that you'll not disturb my love until she is ready to arise. Now, to understand this, I'm going to go back and read verses 4 through 6. He escorts me. Throw it up there. Verse 4. Next one. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples. I'm weak with love. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. This woman literally becomes so overwhelmed by how much she is loved that she falls into his arms and is weak and needs the nourishment of just being held in the embrace of this king. I'm going to read it again. He escorts me to the hall. It, he loves me. And then all of a sudden, strengthen me, refresh me. I'm weak. I'm in the embrace of his left and right arm. She was so overwhelmed by love that she literally fell weak into his embrace. And when she falls into his embrace, the king says again, promise me, Jerusalem maidens, don't disturb her until she's ready. He looks at the women and asks them not to disturb this posture. Until she's ready. By the way of gazelles and deer, which were symbols of joy and love. In the Greek, it actually reads like this. By all the powers and strengths of the field. He says, women of peace. That's what the Jerusalem maidens were known for. Those of you who know what it means to dwell in the presence of this king. Because these Jerusalem maidens, maidens, they were already used to the king walking around. They were there. They were with him. It says, promise me with all you have. Do not disturb her until she's ready to rise. He's saying there is a time for her to lead this posture, and you better wait on it. I think what religion does is push people into encounters by way of managing behavior instead of leading them to a revelation of embrace. That embrace is what readies us to arise. See, other versions say do not awaken love until the time is right. When you're overwhelmed with the invitation to the house of wine, you are so awakened to your beloved identity that you fall into a posture of embrace with the Father, and by way of that embrace, you come alive and you awaken to a truth that God accepts you as you are. And the king's response is, don't disturb my bride from realizing who she is by way of your religious activity. Let them get the embrace. And some of us are so wrapped up in knowing who God is 
instead of submitting to feeling the touch and embrace and being awakened to your true identity. Because what happens is we, we hear that we need God, and then we get intellectual. We go into the study. We want to understand the how. We want to understand what, what's, the, what's the Old Testament about, what the New Testament's about, the Greek, the Hebrew. You know what the king is saying to you tonight? He's saying, before you get lost in that, get lost in the fact that he loves you. And what happens with religion is people get this awakening that, oh my gosh, I'm weak without him. And then as soon as a new person in church falls into the embrace of the Father, we start saying, hey, what's your gift? (laughs) You sing? We need you on the praise band. You know what the king is saying? No, 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 no. Don't you disturb them until the time is right. Oh, you got, you got, you got to get the prophecy. You got to start prophesying. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let them just stay in this embrace until the time is right. Oftentimes we get a deep revelation of who we are and who we are in him or even realizing the call on our lives and and the first thing we start to do is we start to tell people. We start to try to get attention or the leaders try to start calling it out. But there are times when God says, just keep in the embrace. Think about Joseph. Joseph had this dream that he was going to be king. You know what Joseph should have done? He should have kept his mouth shut. Instead, he goes tells his brothers, I'm going to be king one day. I'm going to be king one day. And you know where that got him? Got him thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. But think about why did he have this dream that he would be king? Because in a moment he fell into an embrace. And you know what God wanted him to do? Just stay right there. Instead, y'all know what God showed me in a dream last night? Can I speak into that for a second? God is, for some reason, sharing dreams all over this house right now. I get them all the time. And by the way, this is not a rebuke to anything. This is just, this is just teaching. There's a time to share it. And there's a time to just sit in it. I wonder what you do with the embrace. Because many times we're quick to share. And I say let the first response be fall into an embrace until it's time to be awakened. Did you get a word? Sit in the embrace until you know it's time to release the word. Because it's better for it to be released in time versus being wasted. Let me show you this, this passage. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and his two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Talk about crazy. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You see, Peter, James, and John are in the presence of God, in the embrace of God, to a greater degree. They're seeing Jesus. They're seeing Moses. They're seeing Elijah. They didn't want to leave. And then Peter starts getting in a religious mode. Let's build some temples. Let's build some systems. I like this one. Right? 
But you know what Jesus says in verse 5? But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. And build a temple. Peter got terrified. The disciples were terrified. They fell face down the ground. And then Jesus came over and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. They only saw Jesus. And as they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you've seen. Until when? Until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. They could not help but desire to stay there. And eventually they were taken off the mountain by God, not people. And God said, don't tell until it's time. Sometimes God says, don't reveal it or don't disturb the current conditions because he knows that the wine skin is not ready to receive the wine you just encountered. And what happens in a church like this is we get a moment of wine and we think the first step is always we've got to change the wine skin. But I say... Stay in that embrace until love awakens the time. The only way you can be patient to release such a, such a revelation is to be satisfied by sitting in the presence of God. Because you no longer release these things for affirmation or for people to see it. Because sometimes God does something wonderful in your life, and your first go-to is tell everyone. But have you thought for a moment, should I even leave this posture? Release it when it's time for him to get glory. Your glory is the embrace. His glory is what's revealed in it. Joseph should have waited to share the dream once he was king. So when his brothers asked, how did that happen? He said, well, long time ago, I had a dream. And in that moment, it would have been about God's glory instead of Joseph's excitement. Why was it interpreted the wrong way? Why was he thrown into a pit? It wasn't time. You know what Joseph should have done? Stayed in that embrace until love awakened the moment. There would have been a time where somehow Joseph got into kingship. Now, the beauty of God is that your mess-ups don't stop what he predestined to happen. Because even though Joseph totally messed it up, once God says a thing, it's done. There, there, there it is. I wrote this down. I don't know where I was going to say it, but here it is. When God says something, it's done. And there are many people, maybe, you're, maybe it's in this house right now, or many people who are going to come to this house that see something new, a new sound, a new wine, a new wine skin, a new teaching, a new this, a new that. And a lot of people are coming realizing that their gifts are embraced here, and we're going to start building those gifts up. And then words start coming out of our mouths like, I wish I would have had this 20 years ago. I wish I would have been able to do this 15 years ago. The word that I had tonight, <clears throat> if you read through Joel chapter 2, it talks about losing all this stuff. And the summary of it is simply this. 
God says, I will restore the time that life has taken, and I'll give back what was lost in the moment. He will give back what is lost in a moment. Because there are many people in the sound of my voice who spent their whole life ready for a place like this, if I may so boldly say it. Do not let the lie of, why didn't I hear this 10 years ago? Because if God says something's going to happen in your life, it don't matter if you missed out on 30 years. He will restore the time lost in a moment. And you know how he wants to restore the time lost in a moment? Just get lost in an embrace that you never want to get out of. We say no striving. Let's not strive. You know why we should be excited to come together on Saturday nights? I know we get excited for the worship and the word, but it should just be this. I get to dwell in the presence of God with people that want to dwell in the presence of God. That's it. God is showing all these incredible things, but you better make sure the wineskin is prepared to receive the wine that you experience before you start pouring it out. Why didn't God just pour out Holy Spirit the moment he redeemed us? Like when Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave and rose out of the ground and they were like, oh, you real. It happened. Why didn't he just give them the Holy Spirit then? Because it wasn't time. They still needed to be ready. Because they still doubted that he rose. Kyle, we should do this. Kyle, we should do that. You wouldn't believe how many text messages I get and calls of, should we do this? We should do that. God's saying this. God's saying that. A no does not mean I reject that you heard God's voice. We probably should do that. And we're probably going to do that. But it is up to me as the leader of this house to discern one thing. Can the wineskin take that wine? And you may have a gift and you think that this is how it should look. But I say, I agree. But we got to make sure that it's ready for it. Because if it pours too soon, you know what the wineskin does? That is stewarding the moment, stewarding his outpouring, stewarding the wine. See, this is why you need to understand the calling of apostolic. Because if you abide in his presence, you won't care if the apostolic mandate says, now is not the time to go there. We don't need to disturb the, the bride until it's awakened. Because you're not trying to get the wine that you know is available. You're happy to sitting in presence. Titus 1.7. I read this scripture and God showed me something totally new with it. A church leader is a manager of God's household. So he must live a blameless life. He mustn't be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Heavy drinker or drunk is literally translated from the Greek, meaning this, 
Not drinking too much wine. This is what God showed me. A church leader is a manager who doesn't steward badly the poor that you've already got. Because Holy Spirit pours out something, how dare we ask for more and just try to get drunk in something over and over when the scripture actually never says to get drunk in it. Because what happens in this, I don't know why I'm on this tonight, but what happens in a church like this where we believe in the Holy Spirit, we we get this rhetoric of, oh, they, they were drunk in the Spirit. Actually, no. They looked at the disciples and said, y'all look drunk. They look drunk, but they weren't drunk. We forget they were accused of drunkenness, and Peter says, it's 9 a.m., we ain't drunk. We're simply experiencing something you don't understand. And we didn't try to get it. We just went to the house of wine. It's not get drunk in the spirit. It's get lost in his embrace that the only thing the world can say is that looks drunk. Because my Bible says that when I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is control. And I will be so bold to say, I believe wine poured out at the right time looks like order, but the order here looks strange to them. Because you know what the order is in this house? We forgive even before you ask for it. But the world says, I'll forgive you when you apologize. So to them, they say, that doesn't make sense to us the way y'all do that. Why y'all do that? Because I don't need their sorry when I'm lost in an embrace. How can you forgive or, or bless your enemy? Because nothing they do or don't do does not affect the fact that I am lost. In an embrace. Think about what the world does. You hear it in marriages all the time. Well, why did you fall out of love? Why are you having this issue? Because they don't love me. You'll no longer love your spouse according to what they do for you. You'll love them according to an outpouring of where you're embraced in. Well, I'll do this for them when they do it for me. No, 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 no. Because you're not in their shade. You're in his. Steward the wine. Stay in the embrace until it's time to move from it so you know what to do with it. I want to make sure y'all hear me clear on this. I believe that the wine that God is going to pour out in this house is going to, be, is going to look weird and it's going to look crazy and it's going to be good and we're not going to know why we call it good. But that's never going to happen if we just don't say, we, we just want you, God, not what you've got to offer. You see, there's a distinction we overlook 
in Acts 2. You see, when they were in the house of wine, if you will, when they were in the upper room, it says in verse 2 that suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house they were sitting. Verse 5, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Here's the distinction. Those that knew Jesus heard the noise and received it. Those that didn't, they just heard a noise. When you get lost in embrace, it's how you begin to discern the voice of God. Imagine being in here and all of a sudden we're praying and just... And our response would be this. Because there's peace in his presence. And for some reason, the wasn't weird. It sounded familiar. You know why it sounded familiar to them? Because they were satisfied in an embrace where nothing disturbed them. And I hear people say all the time things like, I can't hear the voice of God. Well, maybe you should get lost in his embrace rather than searching for wine. This woman in Song of Solomon chapter 2, she goes on a walk and she fell into a moment where she was weak with love, getting lost in this intimacy with the king. And when she got lost in it, remember how the king says, don't awaken her? There's one thing that did. Verse 8. I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains. He's bounding over the hills. She heard the king. As we read further next week, it wasn't just his footsteps. He was calling her. We've got to be in a posture church where the only thing that moves us is the voice of God. We get to that place, it don't matter what comes at you in life. Nothing shakes you or disturbs you because there's only one thing that will awaken you. There's only one thing that will get you. And that's God's voice saying move. It's God's voice saying stay. It's God's voice saying here's the wine. And sometimes the voice sounds like a mighty rushing wind coming through the room. And sometimes it's a still, small whisper. Sometimes it's in a dream. Sometimes you're sitting at your office, and all of a sudden, for some reason, you get this idea that you are beautiful and you're amazing. And you say, where did that come from? It's the whisper. She heard her lover coming. I'm going to read this in John 10, 3 through 5. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, and after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. When it comes down to a church, we cannot steward the wine until you become familiar with a voice. 
Do you realize that he has poured out wine into your life? There's a gift in you. There's an identity in you. And he gave it to you for a specific reason. And some of you are still struggling with, why did he give that to me? And you're saying, I want more. What's next? I believe that God is telling you tonight, I can't show you what's next until you start using what I've already given. I can't give you what's next until you steward your current wine. I don't know if this is for the teenagers, the 20-year-olds, the 8-year-olds, or the 70-year-olds, but God's given you something, and it's past time for you to start doing something with it. And I want to tell you that this house is a safe place for you to mess up with it and do great things with it because I want to see you come alive in what God's given you. And the moment you start saying yes to that, God says all the time you've wasted in your whole life, in a moment, I'll redeem it. When you're going through your day, you can't steward the wine, the gift that God gave you to use. If all the voices of hard and painful and frustrating and even the enemy get you out of your embrace. Because what happens is we'll have great experiences on Saturday night. But then you go home or you go to work and you get that that bad news or you get the bad report or you get a someone says something to you that questions your entire existence or maybe you get frustrated and you get mad or maybe you're feeling spiritual attack from the enemy if he has no authority then attack should not have an authority to move you and awaken you from love don't ever question the fact that you're loved don't ever question why is God doing this to me get lost in I don't care what my conditions look like thank you God for the embrace and you'll be amazed at the peace that comes into your life because you're not looking for a peace in the situation you're looking for a peace that comes from an embrace that helps you steward a situation we should not be praying prayers like God remove me from this place because I don't care if I'm in the fire and I don't care if I'm in the cold, I'm in the same embrace. And those conditions do not affect me. I feel like that's where the church makes bad decisions. We see times when people are coming in, and then we see times where people may be going out. And we start to question, should we change something? Should we do something wrong? If your eyes are on him, get lost in an embrace and not the expression. The only thing that should ever move you is him. People calling these 120 people fools and drunks didn't move him. All they did was start telling them why it looks so unfamiliar. You know what these 120 people did when people said, y'all look strange, you look like drunks? They went and sold everything and brought it all together and started eating together every day in the homes and started worshiping God in the temple. You know what their response was? They, they got lost even more in the embrace. 
They said, yeah, we, we, we know that this is not how your system does it, but we're not in that system. We're, we're in his arms. Steward the wine. We've got to get to a place where we say, God, I don't want to be awakened by anything but you. Some of us just need to get lost in the embrace of the Father, believing again that he loves you. Some of us right now, through this message, that one gift has been highlighted at the forefront of your head, and you've realized, I ain't done nothing with it. The voice of God is not telling you, shame on you, you wasted it. The voice of God says, yes, you got it. The voice of God is not going to beat you up tonight because you haven't done something with the gift. The voice of God says, I'll redeem it in a moment if you just say yes. Steward the wine. Let the prayers of this house move from God, pour it out, to simply, God, we want to get lost in you. That's the new song. Not God do something, not God please. No, no, we're going to get lost in him. So you know why we prophesy prodigals return? Because we're not asking anymore. We're simply waiting. You know why we prophesy the lost will be found? Because we're not wondering if it's going to happen. We know. Right? We're not saying, God, give us the keys to the authority of the city. No, 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 we, we, we already got the keys. It's what will we steward what, we've, what we're already in. God, I just ask right now that you would reveal it individually to every single person in this room under the sound of my voice. Reveal what you have given them right now and show them what they are to do with it, God. Tonight, God, we're not trying to figure out what's next. We're satisfied in just being with you. There's nothing greater than getting lost in the embrace of God. And he calls you royal and he calls you worthy. Don't ever question that. There is no other God. There is no other way. It's Jesus Christ.